I guess I don't get to be sons of thunder. <laughs> At least in the natural. Ooh, there we go. Don't fail me now. Hey, uh, first thing I wanted to say is uh, some of you might have seen my wife and I come in with a shirt, a sweatshirt on. Some of you know what this means. Some of you don't. Some of you probably think I'm advertising a new normal. I'm advertising a new normal, all right, the new normal of the kingdom of God. That's what this means. A new normal of the kingdom of God invading earth. It comes from the movie The Chosen. If you haven't, I'm putting in an advertisement for The Chosen. If you haven't seen The Chosen, do it. You can see season one online or you can get the app, get it on your phone. You can watch all the episodes. They're through two seasons now, 16 episodes so far. It's well worth every moment you tune in. If you want to know about the life of Christ and the disciples in a very real, down-to-earth, human, uh, textual, uh, first-century, real, bona fide, what it would really be like, that would, they demonstrate it very well. On the front it says, uh, get used to different. And that was a line in the movie where Jesus told the woman at the well, get used to different. Because he was in town. When Jesus comes, he shakes things up a bit, typically. Sometimes we don't like it too much. Because we get set in our ways. Isn't that true with every generation? We get comfortable with what we're used to. And then the, God does a new thing and we get offended. <laughs> he reveals our hearts. So anyway, it's not often I have a title already in mind when I preach. Uh, usually I have to come up with a title afterwards when the guys that post it online uh, demand I give a title or they make one up for me. <laughs> But today I have a title. The title is Tolerance, Love, and Speaking the Truth. Tolerance, Love, and Speaking the Truth. Do you remember a few years ago that the buzzword, it still is, but the buzzword a few years ago was tolerance? Do you remember how aggressive it was everywhere? You couldn't go anywhere without hearing tolerance. And uh, <clears throat> we all kind of got tired of hearing it on the news and entertainment. Uh, everybody was preaching tolerance. The only problem with that tolerance message is it was usually preached by those that were advocating some kind of perversion, advocating some kind of corruption, and trying to display it as a new normal. And uh, <clears throat> tolerance in and of itself, I understand. You know, we, Jesus certainly is very loving and forgiving and patient. But I had a hard time accepting the tolerance message. And uh, as I contemplated this over 
uh, two, two, three years ago, was contemplating all this tolerance stuff, was going, Lord, what, what's going on with this tolerance message? It didn't sit well with me. Something in it pricked my spirit. It didn't feel right. It felt like something was amiss. So I began to meditate on that before the Lord and, and dialogue that through with the Lord. And back in 2019, I started making some journal notes about what I felt the Lord was saying about the whole tolerance message. And uh, I'm just going to read some notes here so I can stay on track. And I got a really blast because I got a lot of, met, lot of stuff to get through here. Being a rational human being, I can comprehend the good side of tolerance, but having the Holy Spirit living in me, I could discern there was something polluted in the tolerance message, and those that promoted it usually had that worldly perverted bent. I could also see that the tolerance message was doing more to divide people than it was to unify them. This didn't sit well with me, with me so I began to contemplate this before the Lord and uh, how he felt about tolerance. And did he, or did he have a different perspective in mind? And he does. God has a different perspective in mind. God's not into tolerance. He's into love. Now you're going, isn't tolerance and love the same thing? No. They're vastly different. And you'll see what I mean as I share. In order to properly show you the vast difference between tolerance and love, I need to define what tolerance is. The ability or willingness to tolerate, allow, put up with something that you do not agree with. That's what tolerance means. That's the definition of tolerance. Now, in and of itself, that doesn't sound so dangerous. But as we will see, that is not the Jesus way. Do you want the world way or Jesus way? The Jesus way. They're quite different. So I was scribing some notes from 2019. And in order for me to properly show you the vast difference between tolerance and love, I need... Oh, I already did, read that, sorry. Uh, here are some of my journal notes from 2019 as I pondered tolerance-love comparison. Are Christians guilty of being intolerant? Is intolerance sin? These are the questions I was asking myself. Was Jesus tolerant? Or is there something else higher that we should be demonstrating? I've already answered that. There is something else higher we should be demonstrating. When the world says they want tolerance, typically they're really saying, I want you to accept me and my lifestyle choices. We've all heard Pastor Doug say, we can be accepting of people, but we do not have to be in agreement with their lifestyle choices, especially if those lifestyle choices are self-destructive to them and others around them. Why would we want to accept that? Why would we say that's okay when we can see what it's doing to them and see what it's doing to their families and people around them? That's not love. In the world's eyes, because an individual lives because an individual lives in a compromised lifestyle choice, whatever it may be, even if they do some things 
uh, of compromising conduct, they will go ahead and agree with the need for tolerance for others' choice, other people's choices, so that it gives them credence to continue in their own lifestyle choices and feel better about themselves. In other words, I will tolerate your bad behavior, so you tolerate my bad behavior. In other words, I'm tolerant of others, so others should be tolerant to me. I accept your gray areas, so you need to accept my gray areas. Let's just have one big gray world, shall we? Does that sound like fun? No. I remember when I was about 19 years old, living in Nevada. Anybody know what a smokeout is? About 1979, 1980, there was a lot of things called, a lot of smokeouts going on. John's over there giggling. 19 years old in the state of Nevada, where the laws of the land were very strict on drug use at that time. There was a smokeout, and I was a pothead back in them days. Smoking pot, so we went to this smokeout. Place where people gathered and they smoked marijuana in a big group and they talked about how, uh, <clears throat> how liberating it was to be free and how we wanted to see legalization of marijuana and freedom of this uh, controlled substance for people to use freely. So we're at this smokeout and there's people speaking, you know, up on a stage, they're speaking and sharing, and this one guy gets up there and he starts sharing about, yeah, we want to see rights for marijuana smokers to have freedom to do it, legalized, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, we're not just up here uh, fighting for uh, marijuana use rights, we're also fighting for the rights of the gay community. And I suddenly was shocked. I, said, I thought to myself, I'm not here for the gay community. I'm here because I wanted to <laughs> smoke pot. <laughs> and it was a sudden realization that this guy was advocating other things so we could be okay, and they 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 could be okay, and do their things that were questionable, were just flat out wrong, and it become acceptable for everybody. All of our gray becomes acceptable. And that's just not the Jesus way, I'm sorry. Jesus has another plan in mind, it's called love. He wants to save, heal, and deliver. Worldly tolerance often does not have any love in it at all. You can even hate a person or a social group and maintain a level of tolerance. Tolerance says, I will let you coexist in my world, but I really don't care about you. Tolerance allows others to live in any way that they want. It just lets others coexist with their own version of reality, even if it's destructive. Tolerance doesn't seek to bring healing and deliverance. It says, I'll tolerate you, but I do not care about you. This is not the Jesus way of love, is it? Jesus wants to save, heal, and deliver, and set free. So much different than tolerance. My wife and I were in Lapine. We have a 
piece of property in Lapine. We put a travel trailer on it in the spring, and we go over there and camp in the summer. And we went over there in late May, around June 1st, and uh, got there in the evening, and we got it set up in the trailer. And we noticed a couple of big black ants in the trailer. So we quickly, you know, squashed them and went to bed. Next morning we got up and we started seeing more ants. And they just were coming in all over the place. We're killing them, trying to stop them, stop the invasion. Well, it just got worse. By the third day, we, we went to war against them. We were uh, spraying, uh, what that stuff called? Home defense. Yeah, we were spraying home defense on all the access points around the tires of the trailer and everything else, you know, and trying to stop the invasion. Putting some borax at some access points, you know, because ants don't like borax. And it kills them. They take it back to the nest and the others die. So we got aggressive. We just said, no. Ants, you're not coming in here and setting up home. I'm sorry. So we went against them and we uh, fought them for two, three days. And by the fourth day, the ants were gone. We had stopped the invasion. Yay! So what's that got to do with anything? <laughs> well, I was pondering that and I was just thinking about, you know, oftentimes, especially in our culture today, we live in a society that is seems like all kinds of black ants are trying to infiltrate our society. They're trying to come in and make themselves at home, in our home, in places they're not welcome. And the tolerance message says, oh, you've got to accept them. No, we don't. Now, let me get something straight. When I speak of the advancement of evil... I'm not speaking of people. I'm speaking of the powers of darkness that are trying to influence and infiltrate our society, whether it's our own homes, our cities, our counties, our states, our nation, or an individual person. There's a place where we just say, that's not welcome here. That's not right. That's not healthy. That's not wholesome. That is dangerous to you and to others around you. And the tolerance message wants us to accept those things and just embrace them like some kind of new normal. And I'm sorry, we don't have to because the king has given us a better way. I once heard it said... You can tell what a person loves by what he hates. So when I say that, what do you hate? What comes to mind? All of you probably had a thought just now. So if you have something that you focus a hatred on, what is it that you love that is the opposite? Some of it might be the devil, Jesus. Some of it might be unrighteousness, righteousness. Some might hate lawlessness. Some love law-abiding. Some hate injustice. Some love justice. You can tell what a person loves by what they hate. 
And you can tell what God loves by what he hates. Do you know there's verses in the Bible that says God hates this and God hates that? It's there. Again, remember, I'm not talking about fighting against people. I'm talking about fighting against, fighting against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realm. As Ephesians 6.12 talks about, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, flesh and blood humans. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our enemy, not the people. Now I understand that people become advocates for evil. I understand that there's people in places of political power, people in places of great influence who are influencing and advocating for evil. Isn't it true? And we want to war against them. We want to take out our anger and our hatred against them. But we've got to focus on who the real enemy is. Now, there's, you're going to confront. You're going to have to confront some people. You're going to have to confront some ideology. And sometimes it's going to come in the form of a person. Whether it's one-on-one -on -one with a friend, a family situation, a political uh, narrative, you're going to have to at times confront people. But remember, they're not the enemy. They have been swept into some kind of advocating for that evil thing, but they're not the enemy. And I know that's really hard to wrap your head around. And I'm like you, I'm struggling with that too. I'm trying to go, how can I be, how can I be an advocate for the kingdom of God and tell evil to stop when it's a person and not take out my, have hatred or anger toward that person and start calling them the enemy. That's tough, isn't it? And especially right now in this country when we're watching the narratives that are coming down and the division that's happening. It's hard to keep our heart in the right place. A society that welcomes tolerance, not love, is putting a welcome mat out for the ants to infiltrate a culture. Kind of sounds like what's happening in America right now, doesn't it? But here's kind of a sobering thought. The problem, is, the problem today isn't so much that so many voices have risen up to promote darkness, but that so few voices have risen up to oppose darkness. Ouch. Did you know that darkness cannot stand in light? It cannot stand in light. Wherever light is present, darkness flees. It can't stay. If you're in a well-lit well -lit room, a dark thing can't come in and squelch the light. It just can't happen. Now, if the light leaves the room, flick the switch and you walk out, darkness can take it. 
The same is true in the spirit world. There is no void place in the spirit world. And occupation, I know. We got, a, we got a, another realm operating in our midst right here, right now, that we really can't see, okay? We're natural, physical. There's a spirit realm happening right here in this room right now that we can't really get our eyes on. And in that realm, there is no empty space. In other words, it's either occupied by the kingdom of God or it's occupied by the kingdom of darkness. And where there's light of the kingdom, the darkness cannot stand. Now, if the light says, I don't want to be here anymore, and steps out, the darkness will, as a vacuum, step in. It's not like outer space, where there's vast, empty nothing. The spirit will does not like that. It's saturated with one or the other. And if we understand that, we'll understand that we are in a spiritual conflict, constantly in a spiritual conflict. You can't step out of it. So it really behooves us to be light, doesn't it? Tolerance accepts evil, but love confronts evil. I came up with that. Tolerance accepts evil, but love confronts evil. Love says, no, you can't come in here. You're not healthy. You're dangerous. You're going to be a problem. You're not welcome. Now, we're not saying that to people. Remember, we're talking about a spiritual warfare. We can always love and accept the person, but we've got to differentiate the spirit that's motivating that person at that moment. So, what does living out love look like? Jesus is perfect theology. <laughs> so, what did Jesus do? How did he live a life of love, not tolerance? What did that look like? I mean, we've all read our Bibles numerous times. We've read the Gospels numerous times. What was Jesus like? He certainly was patient and forgiving. He healed everyone that came to him. He rejected no one, though many rejected him. He served with the heart of a king and ruled with the heart of a servant. He gave his life as a ransom for many and satisfied the requirements of the law, setting us free from the power of sin. Isn't that the Jesus we all know and love? Now we know from First uh, John, now I'm going to really throw a wrench in your thinking, now that I've told you about the real Jesus and how we know and love him. <clears throat> First John says that God is love, right? God isn't loving. God is love. And God is love. God is love. Everything he does is love. Even if it might not look like love to us at the moment, God is love. And then in Hebrews 1.3, it says the Son, Jesus, 
is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So as God is love, Jesus is love. God is love, Jesus is love, and Jesus was the exact representation of God. So everything Jesus did was based in what? Love. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some things in my Bible that I read about Jesus that I just go, wow, that didn't look very loving. Man, Jesus, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? You seem to be in a bad mood. Anybody know any of those verses in the, in the Gospels where you just kind of go, Jesus, I thought you were loving and kind and gentle and, and careful and a bruised reed you would not hurt and so forth, which is all true. But I mean, there's some stuff in there that's downright scary. And if Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, who is love, then everything he did is a representation of that love. Even if it looks harsh to us. Does that make sense? Good. Let me give you some examples. In Mark chapter 10, also repeated in Luke 18, Jesus meets a young man, a rich young ruler. This man comes to him and falls at Jesus' feet and, said, and says, what good thing must I do to be saved? A rich young ruler. Pretty good standing in society. What good thing must I do to be saved? And Mark records it this way. Well, Jesus goes on to say, well, you know the commandments. Do not kill, do not steal, honor your father and your mother. You know, Ten Commandments stuff. And the young man says, all of these I've done since I was a boy. I'm perfect. <laughs> and yet he's at Jesus' feet asking, what good thing must I do to be saved? And then Mark records this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and then come follow me. Well, we know the story. That crushed that young man. He went away sad and didn't accept Jesus' offer. Why? Because he was self-centered. What good thing must I do to be saved? I'm a rich young ruler. I've done all the rules. I've done everything. I'm a good boy, but something's missing. What do I need? What can I do to ensure my eternal salvation? What good deed? It's all about me. And Jesus changed his focus totally and said, if you want to be perfect, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Whoa. That doesn't sound very much like love, but it is. And you think, well, that's because rich people need to repent, and, you know, Jesus was saying that rich people are evil. No, he didn't say that at all. As a matter of fact, that's the only rich person Jesus ever said that to. 
and he encountered a lot of rich people. As a matter of fact, Luke 18 records the same story. Then in Luke 19, we see Jesus encounters another rich man, a man named Zacchaeus, a tax gatherer. And Zacchaeus is like, Jesus, come to my house and have dinner. Jesus goes to his house. Zacchaeus stands up and says, I give half of what I have away to the poor, and if I have wronged anyone, I'll repay fourfold. Jesus didn't say, oh, that's not good enough. No, no. You've got to sell all and come follow me. He didn't use the same words on this man as he did on the, on the rich young ruler. It's person-specific. Jesus recognized right away in Zacchaeus that he had a heart ready to do the right thing. He didn't have to say anything to this man. He was already on the right track. And Jesus was like, you got it, Zacchaeus. You're tracking, man. In Mark chapter 3, Remember the story where uh, Jesus is in a synagogue and there's a man there with a shriveled hand. Remember that story? And the Pharisees and the religious community were looking at him going, I think he'll heal on the Sabbath. You better not heal on the Sabbath. <laughs> and, and Jesus is a little bit astounded. He can feel the vibe in the room, you know. Something's wrong here. So he says to them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remain silent. And I hope I never encounter what, he's, what is recorded here next. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. How would you like to have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords look at you in anger and deeply distressed at your stubborn heart. That is the last thing I ever want to encounter. But Jesus was mad at these people because they couldn't see what God was like. They had this religious form that nothing can be done on the Sabbath, not even heal a man. And Jesus just says, you guys don't get it. You don't get it at all. And he heals the man. Now remember, Jesus is the exact representation of God who is love. Jesus is operating in love, not hate, not tolerance. Even when he's looking at these guys in anger and deeply distressed, he's operating out of love. Wow. One more. <clears throat> Jesus is in the uh, a synagogue in Nazareth. Remember, Nazareth is where Jesus grew up as a kid, right? He was in Nazareth. He was growing up there. So the people knew him. So here he is back in Nazareth now. He's 30 years old or so. And he's in the synagogue. And he's asked to read from the prophet Isaiah. So he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. He rolls it out and he finds Isaiah 61. And he says, and he starts reading. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set at liberty those that are captives, to proclaim a favorable year of the Lord. You know, there's more to it, but I'm just kind of paraphrasing it. And then he rolls the scroll back up nicely, hands it to the attendant, which was their tradition, and then he sits down. Everybody's looking at him and he goes, Today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. You forget, this is Jesus, the kid they saw grow up in that city. And he's telling them now, I am the fulfillment of that scripture. And what did they do next? They took him to a brow of a hill, they were going to throw him off a cliff. Right then and there. They were so offended that this kid that they knew and grew up in Nazareth was claiming to be the Christ. They knew what he was saying. They weren't troubled. They weren't confused about his message at all. So they were going to kill him right then and there. Fortunately, he was able to walk through the midst of them and go on his way. They needed to see Jesus no longer as the son of Joseph, the carpenter. They needed to see Jesus, the Messiah. And they weren't ready for that level of truth. But that's what they needed to see. That's what they needed to hear. Again, he's operating out of love. He's trying to make a, a clear distinction. I, knew, I know you knew me as a child, but I'm the Messiah. It's time to change the way you think. God often will offend us with things that he's trying to get us to change the way we think. So there's a lot of things that Jesus did that we would just go, wow, that doesn't look very loving. One time he uh, was, numerous times he did this, but one time it recorded in Mark uh, Matthew 23, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders, and he goes on for like 20 verses railing on them. You, you guys are really blowing it. You're misleading the people. And then he starts name-calling. <laughs> I'm not advocating name-calling, okay? <laughs> but Jesus starts name-calling these people. He calls them names like... Uh, Hypocrites. Numerous times he calls them hypocrites. Blind guides, blind fools, full of greed, self-indulgence, murderers, snakes, brood of vipers. Wow. Can you feel the love of God? <laughs> I mean, sorry. I mean, if I was one of the disciples and I was observing this right now, I'd be going like, dude. <laughs> Maybe we should take a walk. <laughs> Are you okay, Jesus? Is something bothering you? He was operating out of love. He was telling them what they needed to hear because they were so wound up in their religious rituals and religious legalism, they couldn't see anything else. Love sometimes looks different than we expect. I'm not going to go into how the disciples did likewise in their journey, because I'm out of time already. 
My point to all this is that God is not a passive pushover who tolerates sin and bad behavior, especially if you call yourself a believer. Also, God raises up leaders within the church who have the responsibility to co-labor with the Holy Spirit to grow up His church. Isn't that true? Well, I don't have to listen to Him. He's not my leader. I don't care. I just go to that church. I don't have to listen to the leadership. God appointed those leaders for your well-being. They're not perfect. They make mistakes like everybody else. But they are trying to watch over your souls. Ephesians 4, we have the fivefold ministry. Jesus himself appoints apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. Uh, I should read it so I don't butcher it. to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we are no longer infants, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Uh, there's a lot of cunning and craftiness and deceitful scheming going on these days. I'm so sick of it. Instead, Paul goes on to say, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become the very, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Instead, we are not thrown about by every wind and wave, by every cunning and crafty, but we lay into the truth and we speak the truth to one another. And sometimes we speak the truth to those who don't want to hear the truth and you get a reaction. That's just reality. Jesus is our role model. That doesn't mean you go out looking for somebody to torment. But if you're walking with Jesus and you're healing, you're feeling the, the presence of the Holy Spirit and you're feeling the unction to share something with somebody that maybe has gone astray or confused or has a bad theology or a bad perception of reality, and you feel like the Holy Spirit is in it, suit up, brother, sister. Put on the full armor of God and step into it. You might get a backlash, yes. You might. But keep the love on. Do it in love. Operate in love. You can go back and lick your wounds later. <laughs> but know that you did what God asked you to do if you do it in love. Not tolerance, love. Paul instructed Timothy, he said, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And he said, Timothy, he also instructed Timothy, correct, rebuke, and encourage those under his care. You know, nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to be rebuked. And a leader doesn't like to correct. And a leader doesn't like to rebuke. But when they see somebody self-destructing or causing destruction to others, 
they find it their responsibility to say something and step in and go, hey, you know, uh, that, that's not good for you and that's not good for others. You might not receive it very well. Hopefully you'll think about it later and go, you know, he was right. That's happened to me on some occasions where my fellow leaders have approached me and said something about what I was adamant about, and they just kind of went, you know, uh, maybe you should think about it this way, and, and I'd get all huffy, and, you know, the hair would go up on the back of my neck, and I'd want to hiss and all that stuff, and then I'd go home and think about it and go, you know, I guess they were right. Go back and thank them later. <laughs> Hopefully it didn't burn any bridges prior. So, God doesn't have tolerance. He has, he has patience. God doesn't have tolerance. He has patience. There's a big difference between tolerance and patience. 1 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We hate that word, repentance, but it's actually a healthy word. <laughs> it's a word that brings us life when we embrace it. At first, it's a little hard when the Lord pinpoints something in our life or convicts us of something or a leader confronts us and I just am I still here? I'm still here. Okay. Uh, when a leader pinpoints something and says, you know, that's not healthy it hurts, doesn't it? And we, get, and we can easily get offended. But when we embrace it and we let the life come out of it and then we start to grow. I got a word for you right now. Some of you are on the verge of a personal breakthrough. Some of you are on the verge of a personal victory that's going to create a corporate victory. When you have a personal victory, it releases something into the body. It releases something in the body. When you have a victory, you release victory to others around you. It could be in this house, it could be in your workplace, it could be in your family, it could be wherever. When you have a breakthrough, others get a benefit of it. All right, got to wrap this thing up. Many of you here today, I believe, are hearing one of three things. Some of you are hearing today, some of you need to hear today, your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven. There is no longer any punishment or penalty for sin. Anyone who is in Christ is forgiven. Some of you just need to hear that today. Some of you need to hear today, go and sin no more. Stop it. Stop hurting yourself. Stop doing things that are destructive to yourself and those around you. Jesus' work on the cross is sufficient to deliver. 
Will it be a fight? Yes. I guarantee it. I'm 40 plus years in the Lord. I've had so many battles. Couldn't even count them. And then there's some others that need to hear today. I have called you to be an influencer by speaking the truth in love. Some of you have a call on your life to speak the truth in love and you really haven't stepped up to it yet. You know you understand. You know you perceive things differently than most. You have a level of discernment that many don't. But you haven't learned to step out and use it. So I think there's all three groups here today. And that's okay, whatever group you're in. So let's stand right now and I'll pray for you. God, I thank you that you are not tolerant, but that you are love. And all that you do is in love. And sometimes that rubs us wrong, and we admit it. But God, we want you to let your love pour out on us. Do what you need to do on us to transform us, to save, heal, and deliver us, to cause us to be set free, to walk in the freedom and the liberty that you paid the price for on Calvary. We know it's true. We want to embrace it. I speak deliverance to those that might be in here right now that are struggling with an area of maybe habitual sin or traditional sin. I just pray, God, for a breakthrough, that it would become a corporate victory. That victory that they receive would be a corporate victory for those around them. We just release it in the name of Jesus. And I also want to pray for those that know they're supposed to be speaking the truth in love. I pray, God, that you'd give them a boldness and you'd make doors of opportunity that they would begin to see where they fit in and what they should be doing and how they should be doing it and be releasing the truth factor into a world full of lies and fake. And I just speak it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks for putting up with me. Bless you all.